This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And today we are bringing you a special, different kind of episode. As we know, we are facing the COVID-19 coronavirus and many of us are in self-isolation or quarantine and hope that you are staying safe, hope that you are staying at home and away from mass gatherings and following the, the rules of the CDC and the WHO. But we wanted to give you an interview that was uh, facilitated by a professor named Ray Chang. And Ray interviewed our president, Jamar Tisby, the man, the myth, the legend, as you know. And he interviewed him about a statement. And this statement was sponsored by the Asian American Christian Collective, which I love, which we are so in support of due to the fact that we ourselves are a Black Christian collective. And it's so refreshing to see these different collectives that are arising um, even now in the midst of this difficult time. And the statement is a statement of, of solidarity to encourage awareness and education around the hate crimes that many Asian Americans are facing right now. There's just one paragraph I want to read uh, from this statement. It says here, in the last two weeks of March 2020, Asian Americans have reported nearly 1,000 incidents of racism. Get that, 1,000 incidents of racism. And without mitigation, we expect that number to rise in the weeks ahead. Many of these were violent attacks against life and human dignity, and many more incidents have gone unreported. Furthermore, despite international consensus, public outcry, and increasing racism against Asian Americans, some of our nation's leaders are intentionally choosing nomenclature for the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, such as the Chinese flu. And this is endangering the lives of more than 20 million Americans. I just want to encourage you to sit back and really think about these numbers. There are thousands of people who are experiencing racism on a daily basis, and many of us as Black Americans can identify with this. We can we can relate to this feeling. We can relate to the othering. We can relate to the marginalization. And as we think through these things, I want us to hold some space for our Asian American brothers and sisters today. And Jamar and Ray had a great conversation about this and came into solidarity together. I hope that you will be moved by this interview, that you'll be moved to pray, that you'll be moved toward education and awareness, but I hope that you will be moved toward action and solidarity as well. This is just one small thing. We can sign this statement and we can post it and we can share it with our friends and family members, but we also need to do some hard work as well. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of many people who are struggling right now, not just as a result of the pandemic, but as a result of the racism that is still present in the middle of the pandemic. So I hope that you enjoy this interview and I hope that you're moved and stirred to do something, stand in solidarity with our Asian American brothers and sisters. And for those who are listening, who fall in that category, we just want to say on behalf of The Witness, a Black Christian collective, we see you, we acknowledge you, we stand in solidarity with you, we will fight for you. You are image bearers of God, you are beautiful, this is not your fault. And I hope that you are encouraged by our presence alongside you. Well, it's time for the interview. Here is Ray Chang with our president, Jamar Tisby, right here on Pass the Mic. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit.
Hi, everybody. My name is Ray Chang, and I'm with the Asian American Christian Collaborative. I have with me uh, a phenomenal uh, thinker, speaker, uh, writer, uh, activist, uh, and friend named Jamar Tisby, who is the president uh, of the Witness Black Christian Collective. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation because, uh, as many of you will know, uh, the Asian American Christian Coll Collaborative just uh, launched a statement against anti-Asian racism that we've been seeing rise due to uh, the uh, the rhetoric and the concerns around the uh, the, the COVID nineteen virus and disease and uh, and everything has been crazy because we're seeing everything from people getting spit on to being yelled at mm. to even being stabbed. And so uh, a group of Christian, Asian American mm. Christians got together to write a statement. And, and within uh, three days, the statement was written. And then within three days after that, we have over 7,000 signatures. But mm. I really appreciate uh, you, Jamar, because you didn't even skip a beat. I think as soon as I texted you the statement, you said done, and your name was up on the <laughs> list. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm grateful for yeah, you. Man. For your friendship, for your solidarity, for your Christian unity on on addressing sin issues like racism, and um, I'm just curious, how have things been looking from where you're sitting? You know, uh, especially as a as a Black Christian. Well, I think the the most disruptive thing that I've seen so far is in the church because we haven't been able to meet in person, right? So uh, we've been trying to figure that out as a congregation. I'm also uh, situated a bit differently because I'm in a rural area. I'm in the uh, rural delta, and so it hasn't hit here like it has in some urban areas, but it's coming. We got a case confirmed in the next county over and they're actually in the hospital in our county so uh uh we went to walmart that's the only place to do grocery shopping around here and they're only uh um they're enforcing the six feet apart rule and if people don't stick to that they're going to enforce only 10 people in the entire store at the same time and they had police out there the other day so uh it's 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 impacting everywhere uh different paces and everything but you know, I'm trying to attend to the spiritual needs and concerns of my community as well as st still trying to get things done. But that's nothing compared to what uh, people of Asian descent are going through because you've got all of that on top of the racism and the ignorance and the bigotry that's popping up all over again. Uh, I appreciate that word and that reminder. Um, I mean, because people are still suffering and we don't want to negate any of the suffering that's going on. And our hearts are especially uh, concerned about those who are losing loved ones uh, due to the disease. And, uh, and we're praying for those who are experiencing tremendous and terrible loss. Uh, but you're right. I think that this is in addition to all that, all that is going on. And one of the concerns that I think uh, a lot of us within the collaborative have is that as uh, the death tolls rise, uh, the racism against the Asian American community is going to be uh, considered like a, a novel or a trivial factor, which for those who are on the receiving end of hatred and racism, uh, it's not actually the case. And so uh, I'm thankful that you, you're acknowledging that. Um, by the way, what, one of the most incredible things that we saw was that uh, we started as a Facebook chat and then uh, that grew into a Facebook group of now over 4,500 people. And so what I love wow. is that people are resonating with the statement and we try to make sure that we were uh, grounded in scripture, that we were theologically uh, rooted in uh, historical orthodoxy and uh, that we were addressing the needs of our community from a Christian perspective. And I'd just be curious, what, as you read the statement, what kind of stood out to you, uh, what resonated? Bro, it was a brilliantly written statement, and I know you had a big hand in that. So shout out to to all your effort. Um, but when 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 I read these statements, right these these statements against some certain injustice, I'm very attuned to: Are they soft peddling something? Are they reading? Are are they writing with the white gaze and fearful of you know? Well, if I say it this way, are white Christians going to react this way or whatever? There was none of that. Um, in in this statement, it was straightforward. 
it was concise, right? Like these things can go on forever, but this was concise. There were my favorite paragraph is um, a very painful one, which is about the pattern of anti-Asian racism and giving those historical examples. Man, I, I'm I'm just waiting like for the weekend when I can go to each of those events, look them up, and learn more about it, and and try to educate myself about some of the history there too. So I just thought it was so well done in terms of packing a whole lot of really important content into a very short amount of words that, I mean, I can't see any reason why any Christian couldn't sign this or wouldn't want to sign it. So that's why it was so easy to just, you know, read it and be like, boom, yes, sign me up. Absolutely. It's the bare minimum. And I I hope to do a whole lot more. Mm. And thanks for saying that too. I think that's our hope as well. Uh, I think what we're trying to do is figure out how to move forward and and sort of be the Asian American uh, witness. Uh, and so we're we're, yeah. we're kind of uh, following your footsteps and and grow in the ways that you've grown and speak into uh, society and culture and the church in the ways that you have, so that you're able to highlight the Black Christian experience and uh, and to celebrate all that God has deposited into your community and, uh, and educate and inform, uh, all the other, uh, groups from other backgrounds on what the realities are, as well as to kind of hold the historical memory so that future generations and progeny can kind of look into, uh, what had happened in 2020 and 2018. Right. And so I, I leave a record. Appreciate that. Um, you know, our, the history of our groups, right has not always been the most positive. Uh, I mean, one of the most significant criticisms and I think rightful criticisms that, that people have, uh, that we've received is that when black Christians and black people in general who are made in the image of God have struggled, have suffered, have been under the thumb of oppression, have been marginalized and have basically been um, uh, brutalized, Asian Americans and and specifically Asian American Christians weren't there for them. And uh, both of us come from collectivist backgrounds. And so when we say Asian American Christians and black Christians, we associate ourselves with those in the past, even though uh, we weren't the ones who were there to, to make the decisions. And I'm just curious what your thoughts on, on that might be uh, as, uh, as we start having conversations about how we can move forward uh, I guess in our, in our next, uh, in our next segment. Yeah, man, this is something um, I'm eager to learn more from you and other folks in the Asian American community uh, about this sort of history and relationship from your perspective. I remember growing up and being in high school in the nineties, right. And uh, movies like boys in the hood or uh, uh, don't be a menace came out. And there were these tropes about, uh, people of Asian descent owning, you know, stores in black communities, but not really being part of the black community, having this antagonistic relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my personal experience was pretty, pretty diverse in high school. I had friends of Asian descent, but it wasn't like on the radar, right? We didn't really talk about it per se. We knew we were different and diverse and had different backgrounds, but it's not like I knew much about their culture or I felt like they knew much about mine from my perspective. And I could absolutely be wrong. um, You know, if you think of like whiteness as concentric circles with, with sort of European whites in the center, and then uh, because whiteness is inherently anti-black, it creates this category of, of blackness that they're against tend to be in the outermost concentric circle, but you can still move closer to that center circle. You're never quite white, <laughs> right? Uh, you never quite are, are part of that. But if you're light-skinned, if you're educated, et cetera, you can move closer to the center and then get the advantages and privileges of being closer to the center. And that's what I observed from afar is that, you know, when you come in uh, to to the United States culture and society, uh, you can choose if you're, if you're, you can choose whether you, to what degree you want to sort of assimilate or play the game and move closer to the center, or do you want to sort of stand with the marginalized? Now for black folks, especially darker skinned black folks, there's only so far you can go, um, unless you're extremely talented, like, you know, a 
a LeBron James or something like that. But um, thankfully, he's he's maintained some solidarity with the black community. Um, but for other folks, especially who aren't of African descent, uh, what I observed is like a lot of Asian folks who I knew. Um, I don't know how to say it, but it's almost like trading up, right? Like if you associate with white people, um, adopt language and expectations, then you know, you get certain advantages, but you had no advantage by associating with black people. Um, so I'm not trying to be, I'm just telling you what I grew up in is uh, like most of the folks I knew there was, there was an Asian group of, it might've been Korean folks. It might've been Japanese folks, but they, they hung out. We hung out too. So, you know, it's like no shade, but it's like, I could not see any way in. There was like no access for me, uh, whether it was a language barrier or just like social networks. I was just like, cool, man, we're cool. But like, I would love to know you. I have no idea how to get to know you. Man, I totally agree with that. Uh, Sociologists call that white adjacency. So those who benefit from uh, being near whiteness, uh, which I mean, Asian Americans, uh, because of our own immigrant experience and uh, because of the racism that we experienced early on, uh, our parents, I mean, my parents told me, because I'm second generation Korean American, my parents told me, hey, on Monday to Friday, do your best not to, not to be Korean when you go to school because you're going to get made fun of. You're going to get picked on. You're going to get bullied. And they would have me go play hockey. And I'm like, wow. that is one of the ways I was colonized. Now, I love hockey still. And I'm like, I, I, don't, don't hold that <laughs> yeah. against me. I'm a hardcore Blackhawks and LA Kings fan. Uh, but oh, I'm that's like, what's up. I'm, yeah. I'm from near Chicago, so that's cool. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's part of the We the might reality. need to change the mascots, though. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I could totally see that um, for sure. And, and you know, there's a, there's a corollary in the Black community of – my parents' generation, they were really sort of the first generation that got kind of professional access in white spaces. So it was a big deal that my dad worked for a pharmaceutical company in a sort of middle management cubicle type position because he never would have been able to, to work in that environment. But the way my parents' generation got ahead was sort of keeping their head down. They never forgot they were black, but they knew that to make a big deal about it was, was going to be detrimental to them, particularly professionally, but also socially. And so what, what, what I grew up with is kind of, yeah, we're, we're black in the house, but you know, just to stay out of trouble. And, and there was an element of safety and, and concern there too. It's just like, don't deny or denigrate your blackness, but you know, if you try to, you know, put that out there in front of white people, it's going to come with certain repercussions. So, uh, I don't know how similar that is or not, but what I'm curious about is in the black American experience, we've had like the black power movement in the late sixties and seventies. We've had uh, the black lives matter movement more recently. And what these movements in what I think have done is made it to be sort of uh, black and proud and out loud, right? Like it's sort of pushing back against that. We have anything to, downplay or fear or whatever because of our racial identity. And I'm wondering, is there a moment like that or a movement like that for Asian Americans? Yeah, actually there was uh, in the, I believe it was in the eighties or nine. I I don't remember the exact year. uh, Vincent Chin uh, was killed by people. So he was a Chinese American uh, auto worker uh, in Michigan, uh, in the Detroit area, I believe. And he, uh, was at a bar, I think, with his dad, just drinking. And uh, a couple of uh, white auto workers looked over at him. And because the Japanese car market and car industry was growing, they looked towards him and was like, oh my gosh. And they started using Japanese slurs to address him, even though he was Chinese, right? Because uh, in the racialized imagination, if any one ethnicity uh, that's Asian is, uh, is, is considered bad or evil, all of us are considered evil and that particular ethnicity, which is why when I was growing up, nobody knew what Korean was. They always said I was either Chinese or Japanese. And then they would use that you know, Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, look at these. And I'm like, wow. well, I'm Korean. 
And it's only because of the, the major push of uh, Korean uh, K-pop and uh, Hallyu and uh, you know, Korean dramas and uh, all, the, all the things that are coming out of Korea that we are now in the imaginary of mm. kind of the Western and, and, and the global society. You know, and so I'm, and, and sociologists will talk about how media plays such a significant role in shaping our own racialized lenses. Um, yeah. And so the murder, and so what, what ended up happening with Vincent was they started calling him names, and it, it, they they were apparently uh, making fun of him, and it was just a joke, right? Because uh, racism towards Asians always starts as a joke, and we we get targeted in that way, and you know, I mean, you'll even hear pre- preachers go, uh, "I'm going to speak in tongues," and and go. Uh, wanna buy a Honda, uh, Kawasaki Mitsubishi, mm. and you're like, no, that's yeah. actually kind of racist, you know? Like that's not, wow. that's not okay. Uh, and yeah. they think they're being funny, but I, you know, like th- what they're doing is they're oppressing our our languages and our and our uh, and and kind of what we're bringing uh, from our own kind of ethnic background and kind of uh, utilizing it for for their own gain or for their own kind of uh, humor. And so uh, yeah. they took him. They basically took him outside. And then they blundered him to death, Vincent Chin. And that was like one of the major rallying moments uh, across uh, the Asian American landscape. And this is still like, it was major, but it wasn't like as broad as something like the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Because mm-hmm, Christians mm-hmm. are in that, whether they agree with all of the kind of positions of all the different people within the Black Lives Matter movement, because at the core, it's essentially uh, saying we believe that every person and every black person has inherent dignity and worth in the eyes of God, right? And so there's no one that can oppose that. And so that was a big uh, kind of a push where Asian Americans from different ethnic backgrounds came together to uh, protest and to to participate in activism. But there hasn't been much. When when the Japanese uh, mass incarceration took place, I mean, the everyone, every other Asian was trying to make sure that you they they weren't considered Japanese, uh, right? So we distanced wow. ourselves from the Japanese people because we didn't want to get thrown into an incarceration camp. I mean, who wants to go to a concentration camp? Nobody. Exactly. And yeah. so, what we should have done, and what our forefathers and they had circumstances that prevented them from doing that too, because they knew that if um, if whiteness targeted them and white supremacy targeted them, they would have been thrown into those concentration camps. And yep, so it's yep. a, it was a catch-22, a lose-lose situation for everybody. And uh, and one of the things I've been realizing, because uh, I went to LA and read through uh, some of the kind of the sermons that people were preaching, uh, the Japanese pastors were preaching during the time of uh, the incarceration. And hmm. the weekend before, everyone was leaving, uh, at least of the sermons that I've seen. So I haven't seen all the sermons because I've, I've got a whole stack of them that I'm trying to look at. But the ones I've seen so far have basically said and cited Romans 13 over and over and over again. Hmm. And then this, this trust that God is with you in exile as you go hmm. to concentration camps. But at the same time, you are called to obey the government, which the government just 15 to 20 years later, because they had more representation from, Jap- from the Japanese community and the Asian American community more broadly, said, no, that was an illegal act. We committed a crime as a government and then huh. basically paid uh, each family under the Reagan administration $20,000 for many of whom lost everything. You know, and so all, of, I mean, so people who had farms, all of that was gone with overnight. People took their wow. land. And when they got back, they had nothing left. No one was there to tend to their farms. I mean, you have some amazing stories of those who were working on the farms that stayed and kind of cultivated the land and took care of it. But overall, I mean, there was a significant amount of wealth that was lost. And, uh, and one of the things that they learned is we have to really, there was a group that said, we have to really put our heads down and just fit into society. And then another group, a yep. small, far smaller group of Japanese Americans that said, we can never let this happen again. Mm. They, they took they took cues from the from the Holocaust and the Jews in Nazi Germany that said never again. And so even at nine eleven, when there was a targeting for um, of uh, of uh, of Middle Eastern Americans and and Muslim Americans, you you would see a lot of these Japanese Americans who were looking back at their own history say it's happening all over again. Right, we got to stop right. this where it can. But sadly, even then, there wasn't a broad coalition of Asian Americans, especially Asian yeah. Christians. So 
when this most recent wave of anti-Asian racism occurs, is there a sense across ethnicities and nationalities of Asian solidarity? I think so. I think even though that it's targeting China, there's enough awareness and and there might be enough of a population too, uh, where we don't have to say, are we crazy anymore? Because we're talking to Mm. right? When we're alone Mm. and we're the only people of color in a whole neighborhood, we think that we're crazy because we're, we're we're identifying things that no one else is identifying around us. Uh, But here, uh, because I mean, I grew up being called Chinese. I, I was called, you know, I, I mean, I was called a chink growing up all the time. And because I had this uh, racialized kind of uh, awareness or perspective on my mind, uh, I thought it was just as funny as everyone else thought it would be. You know, so I'm like, oh, mm. it's just a joke. They don't mean anything by it. Little yeah. did I know when I was growing up that, that I, those are the things that actually led to the violence against uh, Asian Americans and Chinese uh, as sure. well. Including, I mean, and this is one of the things that we uh, as African Americans and Asian Americans share is that. I mean, we don't have numbers, the atrocious numbers of people that were hung by trees simply for bearing black skin. But we do have instances where Asian Americans and specifically Chinese Americans were lynched. In LA, the single largest lynching, actually the single largest lynching in the history of America took took place in LA uh, in 1871. And uh, 17, eight, 17 Chinese Americans were targeted by a mob of about 500 people over the span of uh, a couple or a few days. And one by one, they were lynched. You know, everything from uh, their, I think their fingers were cut off to, uh, you know, just to be them being beaten and then hung and, and shot and, 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 and everything else in Goodness. between. And so... Is there a name for that incident? Uh, I think it's it's just the Chinese uh, Chinese massacre. It might be called, yeah. So I think it was a Chinese massacre in in in, in Los Angeles. And if you go to Chinatown in LA, um, there's actually a small little plaque, a memorial, right next to the Chinese American Museum, which is right next to uh, Union Station. Uh, everyone knows Union Station because it's always showing up in movies. Um, it's worth visiting and just kind of sitting there in silence and seeing Absolutely. that. You know, a group of people that were just trying to uh, pursue the American dream, you know, weren't given the opportunity because of the way that they looked and because of their. That's right. And I was just reading about the um, uh, Chinese Exclusion Act uh, in the 1880s. And man, it's 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 a brutal history of uh, Asians coming to the United States in general. Uh, the Chinese in particular on the West Coast and, and Japanese as well. But it's a history that we really don't know very well. I mean, as, as, <laughs> as much as I lament how little sort of black history that we know uh, at the same time, there's so little Asian history uh, that we know of our regions. I was very excited to find out, like I said, I'm in the Delta region. There's a pretty long history of um, Chinese in the Delta, which is a, a really unique kind of uh i mean it's just not a whole lot of racial or ethnic variety down here but but you know people of asian descent have been just as much a part of the story of this nation and uh this continent really as as any other people group i'm wondering if um man like is there is there like a hashtag now like how are y'all convening on social media i mean i'm I'm like where how does this become how, how is this a movement you know yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the hashtags are the people are saying "wash the hate," uh, racism is a virus, um, and then the hashtag that we're using is uh, the AACC statement because that's where uh, that we're seeing that trend and we're we're wanting to see that continue to grow so that it leads that's to an good. awareness of what's going on. Um, we're so excited because even uh, I just got uh, a message from. Uh, from someone and the, and the full email from uh, one of the people who were kind of a part of the group and he brought it to his church and the church uh, elder board at this predominantly white church in Arkansas, right? Where there's like, I think he's like yeah, man. two Asians or, and I think he told me that there's like, he, he knows all the Korean Americans in the, in the kind of region. And he's like, yeah, like 50 of them. Right. <laughs> and they actually uh, the elder board sent out an email saying, hey, 
you know, let's be mindful that we're not calling it the Chinese virus unnecessarily because on top of it being kind of tied to China, we're also fueling anti-Asian racism, whether we know it or not. And there are unintended consequences of this. And so our, our words matter and our rhetoric matters. And so they're saying, let's do some more education, which is one of the things that we're hoping for. Like, I mean, like you said, I, I, I grew up in the public school, you know, uh, I, I was homeschooled for one year. I went to a private school for a couple years. Um, so I went to the broad gamut of schooling and I didn't really learn anything about Asian American history. And the only thing I really learned about African American history was that one, there was slavery, two, there was a civil rights movement and That's three, right. everything is okay now. It's okay now. (laughs) Racism is over. We are a post-racial society where no one's skin color. So this is this is the thing that constantly um, baffles me. I I I was in the past year. I've been um, trying to be intentional about developing relationships with with people of Asian descent. And one of the things that spurred it was uh, this infographic that um, breaks up. Uh, people into a 100 friend scenario and they do they do it mainly with uh, the average white American and the average black American. And so for the average white American, they have 91 white friends out of a hundred and then one each of a black Latino, Asian mixed race, other race friend, and then three friends who they don't know the race of. So, so basically, you know, nine out of 10, um, friends for white people is is white uh then they did the same thing for the average black american it turns out that we have 83 black friends so about eight out of ten we have eight white friends though which is eight times (laughs) the the amount of black friends that a white person has so we have a lot more exposure to white people than uh white people do to black people we have two latino friends three mixed waste mixed race friends one friend of another race and then four friends of an unknown race. The only one that we average zero friends is Asian. Mm. So the average black American has zero Asian friends. And when I looked at that, I was like, well, <laughs> uh, it's going to be hard to be about this racial justice thing and about reconciliation. If I've got, you know, no people from, you know, Asian descent. So I was very blessed this past year to be on the book tour with the color of compromise, got to meet you at your stomping grounds at Wheaton. Um, uh, I've, I've known Alexander June for a long time, but I finally got to hang out with him at Azusa Pacific. I got to meet Peter Ong in New York, man. And the way y'all have just been uh, pouring into me, I got to meet Jenny Yang at, uh, I think, I think we were in Arkansas. Yeah, it was wild, man. Uh, So you never know. You never know. um, But we out here, we out here. But the generosity in in of spirit in just sort of telling me more about your experience has been extremely educational for me. And there's so many sort of commonalities and overlapping kinds of things because uh, you know, racism has a very simple playbook and it uses it for every person of color, basically, with some slight variation. But uh, I think we can find a lot of uh, commonality and even strength uh, in learning one another's experiences. So to to any uh, black folks out there who might listen to this, like we got to be really intentional about developing meaningful relationships with uh, our Asian American brothers and sisters. Yeah, and I I would echo the same sentiment going the other way. I mean, we we have uh, we we have very it's not well known, but it's it's somewhat well documented. I mean, everyone uh, who's been kind of looking into how the civil rights movement took place uh, knows that uh, alongside Malcolm X was oftentimes someone named Yuri Kochiyama, and so she would stand and protest and and uh, and speak up uh, with the black community because her experience with her family. Uh, knowing what happened with the Japanese uh, incarceration uh, informed her experience with how she engaged with civil rights. And then, you know, like Mm. we do share a lot of similarities in terms of like uh, the fact that, you know, when it became unprofitable for uh, slaveholders to continue to use black, uh, black slaves, uh, we became Asian Americans were brought in mass and into, into the United States to be the to be a cheap replacement labor, right? And so, you know, when people talk about a wage gap, 
it's because there's a long history of people not being paid the same thing for doing uh, the same mm-hmm. jobs. Uh, and mm-hmm. then obviously you mentioned about the, the Mississippi Delta and how there's a, there's a huge uh, population of Chinese Americans there. Um, and that's a large part because of the replacement labor. But yeah. one of the things that they did was they set up shops and groceries. You know, they, that's right. they followed Jeremiah 29 and, and sought the welfare and the well-being of, uh, of the city and the flourishing of the city. And when, um, and when, uh, when uh, white businesses and white business owners wouldn't serve black communities, uh, one of the things that you can see is that Asian Americans or Chinese Americans would give credit and lend credit to their black neighbors because they saw wow. that they needed some, uh, that they needed the assistance because of the, the atrocious conditions that they were coming out of. I mean, you know, to be black in America means that you're starting at a negative deficit in a substantial way. You're not even starting at ground zero. And so uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of those who, who came during that time kind of recognized the suffering of the black community. And so they, they try, to, try, to, try to lend a hand, many of whom were, were Christian as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's so exciting that, uh, that, that there's like a, a, a desire to even partner and connect uh, yeah. within the communities. Let me, let me ask you, um, so this is the Asian American Christian statement. Has there been much reaction or response from non-Christians, uh, particularly other Asian Americans? Yeah, I mean, so far, I think even non-Christians have read it and resonated with it, right? Uh, and, and, and they said very similar things to what you said. When you look at it, and I, and I think one of the things about being a kind of a racially conscious person of color in America is that you have a critical mind, but you also have a compassionate heart, right? Because mm. you know what it's like to suffer. And uh, generally, people have kind of brought that to the fore. And so we have Christians and non-Christians who are showing support. I mean, obviously, this is intended to be a statement by Christians, Asian American Christians, uh, on behalf of uh, those who would stand by it. And then the friends and allies of those who kind of want to put their names on uh, alongside it, including you. And so... uh, I don't know if in the history of uh, the country, maybe, that Asian American Christians in mass have come together and put their names and force behind something and made a public statement and a declaration yeah. to oppose sin where they see it. And so this actually, I mean, like you don't feel like you're kind of in a historical moment, but it kind of does, like, as mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I wonder if this is one of those historical moments. Well, hey, family, this is Tyler. We're just taking a break from today's episode to tell you about an exciting offer for you, our listeners. If you're like me, as much as I try not to, the first thing I do when I wake up is I am so tempted to look at my phone. If you're like me, honest enough to admit it, then we want you to try this. Instead of checking social media, open the Abide app. Start your day in the spirit and peace of Christ. Abide is the number one Christian meditation app. Abide users report less stress, lower levels of anxiety and depression, and also better sleep. You can start your day off with Abide's daily meditations that are based on biblical scripture. These audio meditations will center you and draw you closer to Christ. You can get started right now with 25% off of a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co forward slash PTM. You'll get additional stories, meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. That's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O forward slash P-T-M to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. So we've talked, you and I, about, you know, what does it look like to have more of a collective and a collaborative uh, focused on sort of Asian and Asian American issues. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I said it then, but unfortunately, when you're a person of color in this country, your moment will come. And that moment is typically a painful one, like now when you're experiencing heightened racism because of stupid nomenclature that that stokes bigotry and violence but um it's that moment when the community has to come together step up and and what you did critically was make it public 
right? Like this wasn't as important as it is. It wasn't sort of like a, a prayer chain or, or, you know, something that stayed within this really small subgroup. You're like, boom, here's what we think. Here's our, our theological and faith reasoning behind it. We would like you to sign it. What is so impressive to me is how God has strategically placed so many folks who were um, leaders in, in putting this thing together because y'all are able to reach out. I mean, it's reached, you know, Christianity Today, Religion News Service, I'm sure other outlets. Uh, and, and so it's getting that sort of national attention, but also different kinds of attention from college and university personnel and seminaries to, you know, church folks, like you mentioned, to, um, you know, just folks like me sitting <laughs> at, at, at the home in, you know, stay at home orders and all that stuff and see this stuff. And there's actually literally something that that's stirring about it. And, and again, it gets to how well written it was. So if folks are listening and they haven't, it'll take you three to four minutes to read. Uh, but when I felt it, it was like a call to action. Um, it felt like we, I wanted to do something. And, and like I said at the beginning, you know, publicly, attaching one's name to this kind of a statement is the bare minimum we can do. So tell us what more we can do. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, I, I, there's so many people that I, I think I have to name, but I'll, I'll probably name just a few who are really essential to uh, kind of galvanizing the, the, the motions forward. I mean, Jeff, uh, Jeff Leo, uh, who are, who's the theological director at InterVarsity, uh, Helen Lee, who uh, works at IVP, uh, Michelle Reyes, who basically was the the lead uh, of the lead of the task uh, task force on drafting the statement, uh, um, uh, Gabriel J. Katanis, who's a pastor in within the ECC, Peter Cha, who uh, so many people around the country recognize and and just kind of respect and revere. Uh, you know what's different too? What? You, 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 then, then, like, like, white evangelical movement is, is, is like how many women you've named. Like, <laughs> I just love that, and it's, it's often done. the same. I know, I know. You've got, you've got way more um, to go through. Is it's often similar in uh, black Christian circles too. But just like, I love that this. It's the whole community, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, so it was, a, it was a collab. It was a collective effort. Uh, I mean, Viv Mugani, uh, Margaret Yu uh, with Crew. I, I mean, just, uh, just. It, it, I mean, it was unbelievable to see how everyone was like, "No, we see the, the the necessity of this." But what was most kind of special, I think, for me, uh, was seeing how the generation that came before us uh, kind of encouraged us, uh, walked mm. with us, journeyed with us. And so, I mean, like me, Michelle, Jeff. And uh, Jay are all probably in our, you know, 30s and uh, early 40s-ish. And then we had a group of slightly older, uh, uh, older people, including Kathy Kong, uh, who were kind of giving us an insight and advice uh, from behind the scenes and actually helping to shape the, the document as they were reading. I mean, I saw uh, Helen Lee's uh, kind of uh, name on the Google Drive just kind of flare up over and over making comments and, and, and shifting things around. Uh, but they, you know, like a lot of them had written a statement to kind of the evangelical world or it's more specifically to mm -hmm. the white evangelical world, uh, based on a series of incidents, uh, I think in two, uh, that led up to 2013, uh, or something of that sort. Uh, and they were basically opposing the fact that we are constantly stereotyped, these uh, unhelpful tropes, wow. these, these racist tropes are constantly being produced by different Christian organizations and, and stated by different Christian leaders. And then we were being called too sensitive or overly sensitive or making things, uh, things out of proportion. And mm -hmm. I mean, that what they did in speaking to the evangelical world. You know, because what, you know, like anytime you do something like this and anytime you labor for something like this, you do it out of love, right? You don't right. do it because you just want to call people out. You do it because mm -hmm. you want to help people and inform them. It's kind of like me and you having a cup of coffee or tea or drinking a, a soda together, actually drinking a cup of water because I don't even drink soda anymore, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, just being together and, and just me telling you about my experience. Let, let me tell you about my day. And this was us telling uh, telling people about 
the days, the weeks that we've been experiencing things. Like, I mean, you know, you said that you went to Walmart and they were telling you guys to social distance or they were going to narrow you down to there were 10 customers at, uh, at a time. Uh, I, the first time I went out after we like been, after we've been quarantined for over seven, seven days as self isolating, mm. I went to Costco mm. and Walmart. And as soon as I walked through Walmart, someone, uh, these two women, these two white women kind of pointed at me and goes, there's another one. No. And I'm like, I, and I'm like, I, I hope they know that I heard that. And then I look, and I look around and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm being crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I do that whole assessment in my own head and I go, okay, is there anyone else wearing a mask? Oh yeah, a bunch of people are wearing masks. Is there anyone else wearing gloves? Oh yeah, a bunch of people are wearing gloves. Is there anyone else? Uh, the, the only difference is that I'm Asian. Of course, yeah. Ouch. And then, so they scoffed and then they left. And by the time I had figured it all out, it was like too late to confront and to say, right. hey, I, I don't think that that's helpful in, a, in, a, in our time when we need to be working together and loving one another and helping one another, especially as people are going to die. So racism is not helping the cause of solidarity and supporting one another in, this, in these dire times of, uh, where people are getting sick, where elderly people are vulnerable, people with Im- who are immunocompromised are vulnerable, people who are disabled in their homes and really don't have much support are vulnerable. So how about we just put on an ethic of love and just start caring for another? And I wish I could have said that. Be that would have yeah. been great. <laughs> yeah, all of this happens so fast and in the moment. So I think, you know, one of the things that that I'm I'm guessing there's a lot that I would say about how to work for racial justice um, in solidarity with with black people would also apply with um, Asian people. And one of the things is what I call interrupting ignorance. And so what those ladies were doing was just ignorant. And uh, it should not be left up solely to our Asian brothers and sisters to say something. Um, I can say something if I see something like that, or a white person or a person of any other uh, race or ethnicity. We need, to, we need to be allies. And I just love it. It is, it is a breath of fresh air when something like that happens and I open my mouth, but somebody beats me to it Mm -hmm. and they're not even a racial or ethnic minority, right? Like that's super helpful. I think another thing a lot of people have been saying is to um, be sure to support uh, uh, businesses financially that are um, Asian American owned and led uh, just to demonstrate that kind of uh, really tangible support. What else would you add? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the things that we're trying to do is populate resources for not only this moment and beyond. So if you just keep checking back and just be patient with us on the on the www.AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative or AA Christian Collaborative, because our name is a little long, uh, <laughs> we'd be grateful. Uh, but other things that we can do together is I think one of the things that would be helpful is you know, to do uh, more early education, which is one of the things that we're calling for. Like, I wish that I had learned about the black experience in America when I was in elementary school. I think it would, have been, it, it would have deepened my spirituality because it would have helped me to see things with the eyes that God wants me to see, see the world in. And so uh, the, talking to your kids, I mean, I, I know that there's already one resource on our website for how to talk to your kids about uh, anti-Asian racism in your schools. But I mean, there are mm. people that are, that, that are doing the educating work and we just don't have all those resources accessible. And so people are just kind of creating things on their own. And, um, and so we're hoping that uh, what we're doing becomes a, uh, a depository for all that. Um, and then I think in the future, just continuing to, to produce Asian American theological resources, preaching resources, pastoral resources, leadership resources. But then in terms of solidarity, I think that, you know, we have to acknowledge that putting, even like for Asian Americans, that putting our own names on a document isn't mm. a high cost. What comes mm-hmm. after is what, what really matters. And so whether we stay at the table with one another and, we, and, and like actually cultivate friendships. I, I, one of the things I tell everyone whenever I go and preach at, at a different church or a different school or an institution, and, and they, they usually have me do a, a chapel message or you know, a, a sermon, and then they'll invite me to kind of do a a, a conversation with leaders or with uh, kind of major constituents within the community. And mm-hmm. I'll say you're, you're the, the, the lack of diversity within your church uh, compared to the neighborhood that you're in is an indictment on your church, but Ooh. worse, it is 
a problem for the glory. It's a, it's a hindrance to the witness of the glory of God. Right. And so uh, one of the things that we don't realize, a, a lot of people don't realize is that we are situated so thickly in a racialized hierarchy uh, that is stratified in completely arbitrary ways that punish those who aren't at the top for not being uh, phenotypically white or light skinned right. and, uh, and punish those more who are uh, darker skinned. Uh, we have to undo all that. And the church is actually, uh, in my opinion, the church in America, uh, though we have some bright spots, are per- perpetuating the damage uh, that we're seeing more and more. And so I think one of the things that we have to do, um, and this would probably be a call for uh, our white brothers and sisters in Christ, is learn to be the minority. It's okay. I mean, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to die. We, you know, like we operate <laughs> in your spaces all the time and we love you in, in those spaces and our presence in those spaces are, are hopefully there to encourage you, even though we push against some of the thinking that you, you were raised in. Um, but I would love to see that. And uh, one of the charges I gave a, a couple of years ago um, at, at a, at a, at a, at the MLK 50 conference when, when pastors, uh, what I say to kind of because the predominant, I guess, uh, audience was was white there as well. Uh, I would say, you know, pastors, why not take the associate position and see what mm-hmm. happens there, right? And uh, and let that let that burgeon, right? And 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 allow a uh, a person of color to lead and see what happens when that person leads. Because one of the things I'm seeing is uh, within a lot of these major organizations, because they have uh, a person of color at the helm, you know, these Christian organizations um, that m- historically may not have signed on to a statement like this, they were quick to huh. get their signatures on. Imagine and that. Kudos to them because, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm so impressed. And, and that's what and they steered the ship. They, they steered the ship that most people would say is impossible to steer or it takes time to steer. Right, right, right. But they could identify with it. Let me ask you uh, one more quick question. Is there an Asian American or an AAPI history syllabus? You know, like, um, you know, there was the Charleston syllabus and it was just this collection of resources related to that specific event. Is there something like that um, that's been done before or is in progress? No, I think that's what I mean. There might be, but it's not well known. And so I, I mean, like I'm going directly to these, like, uh, you know, to these resource centers. So like I'm going to the Japanese American History Museum to, okay. to look for things. Uh, there are some websites here and there, but those, co- those collections aren't complete. Uh, there, and, and when you Google things, you know, it's, it's always just a surface level, right? It, they don't yeah. necessarily go towards the po- primary documents. And right. so there, there's challenge, challenges in that. Uh, and and we haven't really documented racism because we we don't want to acknowledge that racism against Asian Americans exists, right? Because mm-hmm. then we have to deal with it too, and we we have been mm-hmm. trained not to deal with it and just put our heads down and live into this terrible uh, a stereotype called the model minority myth that puts us in a cage in order to be very submissive, to have very little voice, to have very little opinion, and to have very little kind of leadership capacity. And just be good middle management workers, right? Right. And so right. I think we got to break out of all of that, but it's going to take a lot of discipleship and a lot of education, which is why I'm so excited for the the, the church resources and the, the education resources that we're trying to produce, and hopefully we'll we'll uh, be able to develop. Let me um, say this as 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 we get close to wrapping up here is. One of the things that excites me so much about the Asian American Christian, what you'll become, I I know you're still forming that, is I think that we will see some really big and perhaps even rapid change in the white evangelical status quo when people of color get together. And I say that carefully, right? Because I am not, I, I don't know how potent sort of this broad multicultural coalition is without some specificity, right? So I think there's real value in you creating your own website, having your own statement authored by people of Asian descent. Like that's, 
that's super powerful because you know your story, you know your narrative, and you've experienced it, and no one else can claim that, right? So there's there's a level of specificity and wisdom and experience that comes with that. At the same time, you know, if 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 you can sort of organize and gather around your specific experience, uh, black people and, and people of African descent can organize around our experiences, but then at certain moments and in certain causes come together in solidarity as people of color, as folks who know what oppression and marginalization feel like, and we're all saying the same things, and we're all saying this at the same time, and we sort of have this particular point or policy or issue that we're pushing toward, that's... I think getting closer to some of the some of the movement and changes we've all wanted to see in the church, particularly in the United States. So I don't know what God's going to do with this, but I'm so glad y'all are doing it, and we're behind you 100 percent, and way more than putting our name on a document. Uh, however, we can help and support. We want to do that. No, and I appreciate that. I, I always tell Asian Americans that we can't understand our experience without learning about the Black experience right? Because we're so intricately tied and we are basically a car that has been somewhat attached to your experience uh, on a train, right? So, you know, you think about a train and there's multiple cars. And so we might not even know that our cars exist and they're interconnected, but they are. Uh, at the same time, we, we also, st- you know, our experience stands on its own. And so uh, I, I encourage Asian Americans to, hey, study the black, the black experience, understand what happened in the civil rights, understand what led to slavery, understand how, how race uh, became, a con- became, became a concept which eventually led to this terrible brutality of human beings for 400 years. And then, uh, and then think about how you can partner with or even go to, like, why is it, that, why, so like for Asian Americans, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is why is it so much easier for us to either stay within an Asian American church, which everybody knows that's the easy thing, right? But it's far easier for us to go to a white church than a black church. And mm. if anyone has gone to a black church, you just take a few weeks to be there, get to know the people, eat a little bit of the food that they, that they offer you at the end, <laughs> right? Because that's a shared experience. Understand yeah. that our, and Korean American preaching and black, you know, uh, and black preaching is actually very similar, you know, like uh, and we, say we that. Yeah. Get to celebration, you know, we got to get to celebration. Uh, and we also know lament, right? And so those are things that we, we share. Uh, and then to our, and so those are things that I share and I say, go to a black church. If, you, if you're going to a new area, you're not a part of a community and you're, you're, you're trying to enter into a new fellowship, look for the black church, become a member there, you know, uh, and, and show what kind of solidarity and what kind of lines we can draw because relationships make a difference. To our African-American brothers and sisters, um, one of the things I, I generally ask people to do is uh, understand the Asian American experience and try to break out of the black and white binary because the black and white mm. binary isolates African Americans from Latinos, Asians, and Native Americans, right? And so you'll hear people say, we have to address the black issue first. And what that does is it perpetuates the problems of white supremacy throughout, the, throughout society because we cannot be, be, be together in solidarity with one another. We th- I think that we have to address the black experiences probably the most because they happen to African Americans all the time. But we have to address all of them together and we have to amplify all of the issues that we're seeing, especially when it comes to issues like people getting killed on the street for carrying a, for carrying a hairbrush or a, a, a Coke can or, or, or just walking in a hoodie, right? I mean, right. I'm never going to have an issue with someone uh, looking at me funny because I, I have Asian uh, facial features and a lighter skin tone. But that's different, right? And the fact that black people have to think about whether they're going to wear a hoodie or not is absurd. Right, right. That's good, man. Well, I'm excited. And I hope this is just a beginning. Uh, You initiated this call and I'm glad you did, but I'm excited to share it uh, across platforms because I think that's more of what we need to do. You've got our prayers, brother. uh, and, and anything we can do, like I said, from social media to, to anything more concrete and tangible, just know that, that we are in this together as much as we can be and uh, praying for you all in, in this age of the coronavirus. Yes, we, and we appreciate you. Uh, we love our African-American brothers and sisters, and I want to apologize for the ways that our community has not stood with you in your time of need and in the ways that we have failed to 
live in unity with those who are literally oppressed, to live in Christian unity with those who are literally, literally oppressed. And so uh, that, that's just my apology. And I hope that that will spark other Asian Americans to uh, mm. stand uh, with you and to join with you when, we, when, when, the, when an, an issue attacks your community, which we know it inevitably will, sadly. And, yeah. uh, and we hope that we'll turn out in, the, in droves for you. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.